BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I know it's been a little while and I'm a little disappointed I wasn't able to put out an episode sooner because I was so late on this release. I do have another release that's almost ready to go. I'm going to put that out in a couple days, uh, hopefully before the weekend, but I made that promise before. I do have multiple interviews that have already been completed. A quick announcement, I have new peripheral hoodies and baseball tees out on the Gen Y shop. And to get to that, you can just go out to genypod.com. Brian Carr, a dedicated listener and all-around awesome guy, made the design for me. Uh, I went with his design over my regular logo because... I thought my face on people's t-shirts might be a little weird and narcissistic. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Brian. On today's episode, I actually had interviewed Sarah months ago, and I had another topic to pair her up with, which fell through. Sarah wrote to me and said, can we do this again? Can I have another shot at it? (laughs) And and I said, sure, but why? What you're going to soon find out is Sarah suffers from... OCD, pretty extreme case. And she had never sought treatment or any sort of help for the condition. And after speaking with me the first time, she's now talking to a therapist who is having her do cognitive behavior therapy. And it's a goal-oriented approach where you work to understand certain thinking influences and behaviors and change those patterns. She is much better than she was before. She has made huge strides forward. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to her. So here we go. Hello. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? Hey, Justin. How's it going? (laughs) I'm doing good. Good. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this again. Oh, no. I think it's going to be exciting. And I, I think people should know what is possible with going to counseling and therapy and stuff so you know it was funny because I was definitely not in any rush to hear my voice I wasn't like gonna be emailing you anytime soon like hey when's it going up because like I'm not (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think it's interesting now that I have the diagnosis of OCD which in major denial about Mm -hmm. I I mean I knew I knew I had it. it it just seemed so daunting to me that I was just no you know I don't know, maybe it's just this, whatever. And I also partially kind of didn't really understand OCD that much just because of 
what I've been fed about it, it's not exactly like what I have. Mm-hmm. But when the checking got to be so out of control, I was just like, no, that's definitely it. <laughs> well, and everybody has their own personality and their own style. And so no matter what the mental illness or whatever the problem is going to be, it's going to, I don't know, reveal itself in its own way with everybody. You know, the symptoms and the characteristics will always be the same, but you're going to go about it in a different way than say I would or somebody else. Right. And um, I mean, there's no two cases of OCD that are exactly the same, you know, I just, uh, it was weird. I mean, there, like you said, there are certain characteristics. OCD is definitely a control thing. And that's something that every person with OCD is going to yeah. have issues with control. At least that's my understanding of it. It all comes out totally differently. Uh, were you reluctant to go and talk to somebody about it because you were afraid that it would confirm, like, I'm there's something wrong with me? Or what, what was your uh, kind of questioning that when I reached out looking for a therapist I was like no I have to go because when I spoke to you the last time I was in a really bad place like Mm -hmm. the anxiety was ridiculous like multiple panic attacks a day not sleeping at all like when I spoke to you I literally had barely eaten more than a few bites of food in a day in like two weeks I'd lost like 10 pounds in two weeks just because I couldn't physically eat anything and I wasn't sleeping, like I was just a mess. <laughs> and I um, had gotten really depressed, sitting at work on the verge of tears and panicking every day. And I was like, I can't do this anymore, you know? Let's rework the budget, figure out how I can work therapy in. And from there, I just kind of took a deep breath because I remember when we spoke, you were like, yeah, I think I had to call like 16 or 18 people or something like that, I think you said. Mm-hmm before you found someone who was available and all that. So I was just like, oh, God, (laughs) this is going to be a journey. But I was really lucky. Uh Um, I found my therapist on my second phone call. The only reason he was my second phone call and not my first was because there's another guy who was, like, down the road, and I'm lazy and, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, down the road, awesome. (laughs) But But those are all things that that come into play. And and when you're you're suffering, when you're having trouble, it just – making a phone call or he's down the road. Those are huge barriers for, for a lot of people, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I had to do it. There was no, I just, I couldn't do it, what I was doing anymore. So yeah, I made the phone call and I think I was in his office within four days or something like that. Nice. That's not bad. So it was, it was good. I, w- I feel very lucky that it all worked out that way. So how did it start or how did, if, if you don't mind talking a little bit about it? Well, like I said, the, um, I think when I was younger, cause now that I'm in therapy and I'm kind of looking at things, um, I'm starting to recognize more from my past where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's part of the OCD. Mm-hmm. But when I was dealing with it, I just, I never noticed it or it was just never, disruptive enough or just scary like what I was dealing with in the past wasn't scary but when it got scary I was just like oh okay well I can't be thinking like this anymore I can't be afraid that someone's going to come into my house and murder me I can't be afraid that my tire I'm going to be driving around with flat tires and get into an accident and kill someone I can't 
you know, be afraid of leaving my house and the stove is on, my hair dryer is plugged in, I'm going to burn the house down, you know, like when the thoughts starting to get more life or death, I guess, that's when it was like, okay, it's time to go, you know? How did uh, your therapist, I guess, uh, get on board with where you were at in, in your mindset and how, how were they able to help? The first day I went there is basically just like um, it gets to know you question and answer kind of thing. And he figured out right off the bat, like, yeah, it's OCD. And um, he is a cognitive behavioral therapist. So he's definitely well-trained in dealing with this. And so it was basically we just kind of jumped right in and started to deal with it. And I think I've been there. What has it been like four and a half months, almost five months. And my checking has decreased a lot. And it's just a matter of being able to be vulnerable and deal with the thoughts. Like the first one week, he was just like, all right, starting this week, you're not going to check anymore. And I was just like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the first night, I'm like in bed in the fetal position, like hysterically crying because I'm like, someone's going to murder me. Oh, my God, you know. But um, it started to get better and it's not that I don't have the thoughts anymore because every single day I still think about it, but it's just being able to deal with the anxiety and when it finally passes, it passes and you don't give into it, basically. You're not acting upon it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I haven't had setbacks. Like contamination isn't typically a huge issue for me, but... I had a major contamination type trigger that sent me into a frenzy for like three hours after I had started therapy. And I just felt like the biggest failure because I was just completely out of control for three hours. And like, finally, I was like, okay, just stop, you know? And I finally stopped. I was just like, oh, I've been doing so well. And now it's just, it's going to be an ongoing thing. And it's just something that I'm going to have to be mindful of. Yeah, I, I think that the myth of, you go to therapy and all is fine is is just that it's a myth it's sometimes it's ongoing maintenance and it's ongoing to keep things in control and and it's not just going to go away i mean we all think oh you just pop a pill and it's all good or you know i talked to somebody about five six times then i'll be good no right <laughs> no no right i mean maybe taking medication would help in conjunction with therapy but it's just something that i'm not really open to right now just because i've had such terrible luck with medication in the past I, i've seen progress like i said in the past couple of months so it's definitely something that it's not a you know, overnight thing, it's going to be a long time, but it's worth it, you know, just to have my life back. It had gotten so bad that I refused to go to certain places because I literally thought that I was going to get murdered in like the middle of the mall. And so I would not go to the mall. I don't go to movie theaters. I don't go into the city. You uh -oh. know, it's just certain places where I kind of, uh, arbitrarily well not really arbitrarily like these are all places where people get murdered no but. no you mean there's mass shootings that have happened in movie theaters there's abductions that have happened in parking lots i mean there's you're a true crime fan so you know that there's mm -hmm. <laughs> these things happening there and you you let it get the best of you as far as thinking that this can happen yeah, yeah and i just 
you know, it, it really kind of limits you and where you'll go. And the places that I decided I would go, I was like, you know what, it's probably best not to be here for too long, just because you never know. So when I'm there, and I'm like, there for what I feel like is too long, then I start to panic. And I'm just like, I got to get out of here, you know? It sounds like you're way better. Uh, I, I know our first conversation, you it was very much in impeding your daily activities <laughs> and yeah and now at least you're going to this place that you normally probably wouldn't have gone in the in the beginning and now you're at least there so hopefully you can accomplish whatever business you have and get out pretty quick I mean <laughs> yeah I've been to the mall a handful of times um I don't go for very long I still panic but I've actually been there I haven't really been I haven't been to a movie, but that's also just because there are no movies I care about. But <laughs> and they're expensive. Um, it's 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 a next step, and um, you know I'm gonna have to go into the city and all that stuff. So I know it's all coming, and I'm gonna have to do it. And you just kind of take it one step at a time, and every day it's a different challenge because you know, like I said, OCD just comes up in so many different ways that it's just it kind of catches you off guard sometimes. And I was just like, Oh, I was not expecting to get so freaked out by that. But you know, it happens. I guess it's, you start to see it more clearly with time and, but it doesn't help your emotional state or your mental state, but you can at least uh, rationalize it. You can say, okay, all right, calm down, stop it. Let's move on. You might still have that anxiety, but it, hopefully it subsides with time, you know, in that day of, okay, I, I can be out of here and then I feel better again. Um, right. But I, you know, I, we all have that a little bit. Like, I don't like going to loud, crowded concerts anymore. I get claustrophobic and I feel like I'm in the way. And after a while, I'm just like, I just want to leave. But, there's more to it. There's people around me and all this stuff. I don't think I'm going to die. I just mm -hmm. am uncomfortable. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually, I don't care for malls, but I love walking. <laughs> so in, mm -hmm. the, in the Midwest, it's always freezing cold. So I like to go walk around a mall. I might not buy a single thing, but I'll go walk. And that's sort of the, the thing I do. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you're, you've gone there a handful of times, though. Yeah, and it was funny. It was during the holiday season. I'm like, this is the worst time of year to go. Why am I going now? But, um, I mean, that's exactly what I had to do. Sometimes I went there. I had to get something. Sometimes I would just kind of walk and just be there. And I was very mindful of what was going on around me. But I was still there. Um it's hard because sometimes it's just a thought that pops into your head. Like part of it is it's not just harm coming to me. It's harm coming to people that I love. So, you know, when you randomly, when you're like, there have been times where I'm sitting at work and randomly I'll have a thought pop into my head that something horrible happened to my six year old niece. Where does that come from? And it's just terrifying because it's like, this is a child and you just randomly had this thought of something horrible happening to her. And like that, then I'll just have to go and check the news for as long as I possibly can and just make sure that nothing happened or just kind of check in with someone and make sure that everything's okay. And it's just, it's not just her, it's, it's my parents or my, anyone in my family, my friends, if I text someone and 
they don't get back to me right away, immediately I'm like, oh my God, they're dead. And I start looking at the news just to see if anything happened, you know? And it's just like, it's crazy. It's like, that's not normal. And like thoughts of horrible things, of people dying and bad things happening to them. It's just, it's scary. What? So I just have to ask, why do you listen uh, to true crime and stuff? If I mean, do you think that's helping? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because my therapist is like, you really should not listen to that anymore. I'm like, I know I shouldn't. I'm very particular. Um, I can't watch anything. I don't I don't watch true crime shows just because the visual of it is way too much for me. And um, like the reason I like you, your podcast is because you're not graphic, you know, it's, it's very factual. Like this is what happened. This is what we think about it, all of that. But it's, there are some that just get really graphic and I just, I can't, but I, I don't know. Part of me is also, I just like to be aware of things and I don't know if I just feel like I'm, I have a leg up because I know, but I don't know why I do it, but it's fascinating, but it's also terrifying. (laughs) Well, I'm the same way. I I like to be aware. And if you are tactively thinking of how you can escape the situation or not put yourself in a bad situation, Hey, you know, you're, you got a leg up obviously, but yeah. Uh, I guess it's just a, a point where I, I feel maybe I'm sort of a defeatist, but I, I just think, well, if I'm sitting in this movie theater and some guy comes in here with an assault rifle, there's really not much I can do. <laughs> just, right. Well, that's you know. why I don't go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's that's the train of thought. It's, you know, it, like I said, it's about control. It's like, OK, well, if I'm there and uh, this guy comes in and he's going to start killing everyone if I'm not there it's not going to happen to me so it's just my way of controlling that particular situation Mm -hmm. it's just incredibly limiting because you know you don't really have that much going on in your life at that point because you're just so concerned like people call it rituals whatever compulsions It, it can take hours to do that every day and just to make yourself feel safe for even just a few minutes because it's never that's another thing with OCD it's just doubt the reason you don't just check the door once is because within a minute you're like did I check the door was it locked yeah is it really locked or was it uh, I have to let me check it again you know in my last job I would have to knock out all these steps in a process i would have to fix all these computers talk to all these people and for a while i would just i would have to have a checklist and and i would know like as soon as i checked mark it off you know it's like okay that's done or i would have a request to go fix something and as soon as i fixed it i would have to go and close the request whereas my my coworkers would be like, why don't you just do that at the end of the day? Just go back and close all. I'm like, because I will think that it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, right. But you know, but I as soon as I would close the request, I would know that it was done. As soon as I mm-hmm. would check mark it off, I would know. As soon as I would check the door, I would know. I would have no doubt. But if I didn't go through that just tiny little check mark process, I would have to go back many times. But you weren't getting that check mark. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I can uh, I can walk you through what it's like for me to leave my house in the morning if you'd like. <laughs> it's, it's exhausting, and I'll take you kind of 
in I'm going to say a worst case scenario, it's just because it's added steps. If it's a morning where I've had to dry my hair and let's say I made din- uh, breakfast on the stove, I'm just adding two steps in just to kind of give you an idea. So before I leave and I know that I had dried my hair, okay, well, did I unplug my hair dryer? Is it going to fall and turn on and just like things are going to get like, or is something going to happen with the plug? So I have to go and check the plug. Okay, great. It's all done. But let me check the stove, make sure that I didn't leave it on because again, you don't want the house to burn down and horrible. Okay. um, But did I just... Is it unplugged or is it just off? Should I just go check again? Let's make sure that that hairdryer is unplugged because, you know, it could just be off. So you go and you check the hairdryer again. That's time number two. And then you go and check the stove again just because, again, you don't want your house to burn down. That would be awful. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm finally ready to leave the house. I lock the door. I shake it around, make sure it's locked go to the car and then I have to check and make sure all four of my tires are okay. Nothing's flat because like I said before, you know, you don't have a flat tire and a get stranded or B cause an accident, put your stuff in the car and then wait. (laughs) But really is the front door locked because you never know. You go back, you check the front door and then uh, you have to check the tires again because you haven't gotten in the car yet. You just want to make sure check the tires, get in the car drive a few blocks and then you wonder again whether or not the door is locked you come back around come in when you get out of the car you have to check the tires again because you've just driven and what if you drove over a nail and then uh, you check the door again you jiggle it around you say okay the door is locked it's fine you're fine everything's gonna be fine but go back to the car check the tires make sure that they're still fine and then get in the car and go to work. That's what it's like to leave the house. <laughs> Do you, when you leave the house with a friend or a family member, do you have to go through the same ritual or do you, are you embarrassed a little bit and don't do it as much or? Um, I have made my friends turn the car around sometimes. It's never, it hasn't happened like every time, but there have been times where if I'm in the car with a friend and I'll, freak out about the door being locked I'll we'll turn around like even if they're driving I'll be like I, I'm not sure if my door is locked can we go back mm-hmm. um this was more when I was younger too which was weird because I never even realized it when I was younger it's usually just when it's me because I don't know why but it's just a matter of me locking the door like I have to make sure that I did it I guess it's you're distracted too you have another person there you might be in your head yeah. a little bit but you're not quite as in your head, you know, thinking yeah. about this like, process. Like, I don't check other people's tires. I only check my tires. Mm-hmm. I guess if if I was hanging out at your house and we were going to leave and go get some coffee or something, mm-hmm. when we left your house, would you have to check your, your, your door? Would you have to check your car before we would get into it and leave? Um, I would... Uh... Definitely be checking my door. I wouldn't go back and forth. Mm-hmm. But while you were going to the car, I would definitely be checking my locks. Yeah. I, would, I wouldn't I would inspect my tires, but I could see if they were flat just walking around the car, you know? Yeah. I, I'm definitely embarrassed to do it in front of people. I don't even know what I've, I'm trying to get at. I just was <laughs> I was just wondering if your if your behavior was the same around others or not, I guess. 
Uh, yes and no. Like I said, also, it's just kind of that part of it has gotten bad in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many people have really been around for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've definitely walked by a lock and jiggled it a little bit in front of other people, but I'm not like standing there staring at it, like inspecting it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I try to do it as efficiently you know, as possible. <laughs> yeah. It's just without drawing attention to it, but yeah. it, it's on my mind. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, I've had to leave work because I thought that I left the door open and I just get so panicked that I can't sit there anymore. And I, I would have to leave and come home and just check the lock and make sure it's fine. Mm-hmm. So your therapist, he's, he's saying, don't check. And, mm-hmm. and you, you said you didn't check it, but you were thinking about it the whole night. But mm-hmm. he said not to check your door. So mm-hmm. is, that a, is that a new process now that you're going through is fighting the, the checking and just and, and maybe distracting yourself? Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it wasn't an overnight thing. And I still uh, have days where it's wor- harder than other days. And But I've kind of tried to come up with ways to make it easier for myself. Like I said, when I leave in the morning, I'll lock the door. I'll still shake it once just to make sure. Like, I don't think that I feel like most people do that. Yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> they do. <laughs> do that once, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I'll just like have to actually stand there and tell myself the door is locked. You're okay. The house is going to be fine. There's no one going to be there. Like, no one's going to be in the house waiting to kill you when you come home. Um, like I have to like give myself a pep talk every time I lock the door. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. But it's what I have to do. And it's just kind of like, it is what it is. And well, and all these things that you've just said, I I know a lot of people that will, will do that. They'll check the door a couple times. I know a lot of people that will, when they walk up to their car, they will look in the back seat to make sure that the serial killer Mm -hmm. isn't back there. They'll, they'll, they'll do these things. And and I don't ever question them so much. I, I just think, well, if that's what makes them feel better. And on a very small scale, it's it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's not hurting anything. But it's mm-hmm. when it gets to that extreme point where it's interrupting your day or you're missing work because of it or something to that effect. That's when you really need to to address it. And it, it sounds like you really are addressing it. And that makes me so happy. <laughs> Thank you. Like there, there's a couple of differences. The first one I think is like, you have to be doing these compulsions for like, I think they said it was like an hour, at least an hour a day, um, that you're kind of losing time doing all of this stuff, that connection of the thought to the ritual or compulsions. If you go on Instagram and you look up hashtag OCD, you're going to see a lot of clean desks and clean rooms and people thinking that they have OCD um, because they like love this room. It looks so clean. And trust me, I can appreciate that. But it's, are you cleaning that room just because it was kind of annoying you just to be looking at a mess? Or are you cleaning that room because you think like your life depends on it or whatever other thought that you've associated it with, you know? Yeah people with contamination issues. If I touch this and I'm going to, you know, get some crazy disease and I'm going to like, it's life or death, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be necessarily with all OCD. I know that there's different kinds of thoughts. I just don't, I'm not familiar with a lot of them. Cause I think people have like thoughts about blasphemy and harming other people. 
Um, with me, it's just a fear of harm of on me or my friends and family and people that I care about. But the only harm type thing I've ever had was I'm going to get into a car and cause an accident because my tire or whatever, you know, but there are people I've heard stories where they have thoughts that they're like going to strangle their kids and they're never going to actually do it. But it's this thought that they have Mm -hmm. and whatever their compulsion is, that's what they do because they're afraid that if they don't do it, they're going to strangle their kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's like the difference <laughs> between like, uh, you know, just kind of feeling like better when you clean your room and having to clean your room because of whatever it is that yeah. thought is, you know. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything, but I know a few people that suffer from severe PTSD. And mm-hmm. along with that, they were afraid that they were going to lash out at somebody and hurt them, whether it be a Mm -hmm. child or another person. And then they get wrapped up in that thought of, am I going to, am I not going to be able to control my emotions or my physical compulsions to, for, for violence and hurt other people. And then it Mm -hmm. becomes a weird version of OCD based off of their inability to deal with the PTSD and it's really sad because you have two problems now all rooted Mm -hmm. from the first one it's really scary walking around thinking that you're going to harm someone when you just the most gentle person you never heard a fly but you feel like oh I could snap one day and you know do something horrible to someone and it's just really sad and scary and Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely it's, it's really hard to deal with. And it's part of the reason why I was in denial for so long was it's really daunting to work your way out of it. It, it always, to me, seems, you know, this isn't just a quick fix. Talk about your feelings and that's it. This is forcing yourself to be completely vulnerable and uncomfortable and terrified and feeling like you're going to hurt someone or yourself or put, you're putting yourself in danger. I don't want to have to do that, but if it's what I have to do, then... I mean, you you weren't putting yourself in harm's way, so it's even a harder thing to want to address. I mean, we all pick up our smartphones and look at it all day long. Look at our Instagram. Look at our Facebook. If I were to take your phone away for an hour, I'd bet $100 you'd reach into your pocket to pull it out to look at it many, many times. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a compulsion. It's a compulsion. Mm -hmm. But it's not hurting anything. But if I were to tell you, you're on your phone too much and you need to go to therapy, most people would look at me like, you're crazy. There's nothing (laughs) wrong here. There's no problem I need to address. If they were on their phone to the point where, you know, their wife or spouse was like, "Uh, you're not paying attention to me. Well, right. (laughs) They're just neglecting. and Yeah. So I, I get it. I mean. Hell, I'm trying to stay off my phone more, <laughs> but it's it. But I, I saw. I, I guess what I'm the point I'm trying to make is I see what your your challenge was was like. Well, what's really the problem here, and is it that bad? And then you kind of go through those stages of denial and acceptance, and just to find the help and just to know that you have the problem. I mean, when I was younger, it was a lot of perfection stuff. If I'm not perfect, people aren't going to like me and I have to like everyone has to like me. I need to be a good person and all that kind of stuff. So you just have these kind of perfectionism issues. And to me, I guess I don't know if I just didn't notice it because 
it didn't seem, uh, it wasn't life or death, you know, it wasn't scary. It didn't bother me as much. I don't know. It just wasn't as disturbing and I don't know, but when it started to get more disturbing, cause your OCD can transform. It can, you can be doing one thing one day and then all of a sudden, you know, something else has happened. Like I said, I've never thought that I had contamination issues, but once in a while it'll pop up and I'm just a mess. <laughs> um, over the holidays, like I said, I got into a three hour cleaning and hand washing frenzy. Like by the time I snapped myself out of it, my hands were raw and bleeding because I just couldn't stop. The sad part is, is it's not even like it has to be clean and then you feel good about it. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> There's never any satisfaction at the end of it. You never feel good. You just feel that anxiety go away for even just a minute. But for example, when I was doing cleaning, it was I was house sitting in a house where three people had just had a stomach virus. Lice. What am I walking into right now? And my and they were like, oh, we bleached. Everything's fine. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not to my and, standards. <laughs> no, exactly. Bedding was washed uh, multiple times. Um, I cleaned everything that they possibly could have touched. And I was like, did I clean that handle? I just touched it. Oh, no. Okay, let me wash my hands first and then I'll clean it and... Then uh, 10 minutes later, after I finished cleaning a different room, I'll come back in. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Did I clean this yet? What if, what if I missed a spot? It was just over and over cleaning the same things and washing my hands a million times in hot water. And I'm just, oh, God. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, okay, I would have gotten sick for, like, two days. Yeah, it sucks, but that's life. People get sick. But I just couldn't in my head, like be okay with getting sick. The problem might not even justify the reaction. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I couldn't stop myself. The whole point is to be in control and to, to not get sick. And mm. I'm going to do everything I can to not get sick. But in the process, I'm not even going to be able to control my actions for these three hours. Yeah. Which could be worse. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I didn't get a stomach virus, but for two weeks, my hands were just a mess, just dry and cracked and bleeding. And I was just like, oh my, what did I do to myself? Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, it, it, uh... the logic is out the window. There's not anything you can really do. I remember when we did our, uh, oh, what was the case? Was it a uh, sky? Model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Sky case where the mother was extreme OCD to the point where she would, she I, I'm sure she probably didn't mean ill upon her children, but when she was so obsessed with cleaning, so obsessed with things being in order, that feeding the children wasn't even on the forefront of her mind. <laughs> right. You know, taking care of the children wasn't even a part of that. It, it was really sad to hear because mm -hmm. to me it's it's not a simple solution, but hey, you know, go get help, and then hopefully this this whole ordeal wouldn't have had to happen. However, it it went down. Right. Um, it when I was listening to that episode, I was just I was definitely listening to it 
I don't know if it was differently just because uh, I could kind of, I mean, I can't relate to, uh, I mean, I'm also assuming some sort of guilt here, but I can't relate to what, okay, I can't relate to her leaving a kid in the car because it's just something, Mm -hmm. no matter, I I just could never imagine myself doing that. Mm -hmm. But I know what it's like to be in a place where you feel like you just have to do this. And you you also don't know why she, maybe she thought that she was cleaning this house because she wanted it to be safe for her kids and her husband. But they also just let her do it. Like, I think you guys said that she was involuntarily forced into treatment for a little while, but the husband would just let her do it. It, it was, and until yeah. he just couldn't take it anymore, I guess. But yeah, he they they enabled the the behavior because they would go along with it. You know, he would mm-hmm. sleep on the floor to not mess up the bed sheets or whatever it was. And and it's it's just sad. I I know like uh, I won't say my wife's OCD, but she keeps a far tidier house than I do. I'm not a slob. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm by any means I'm not a dirty person, but I can leave some dishes sit in the sink for a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then put them in the dishwasher that night or whatever. I can uh the thing she makes fun of me the most about is I'll eat a sandwich and then the the crumbs from the sandwich will maybe get on the counter or the table. Well then I'll just mm-hmm shuffle them off onto the floor and because I know I'm going <laughs> to clean the floor later. You know, I'm going to sweep them up. <laughs> I already know where you go with this one. <laughs> but she's just like, I can't believe you do that. And, yeah. and, and for a while there was a problem because she'd be mad because she's like, I'm always cleaning all the time. I'm always cleaning up after you. And I'm like, well, if you let me have a chance to clean it, I would clean it, you know, but you're behind me with a, you know, a vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't even have a chance to clean up after myself. She went and saw a counselor. Uh, I think they gave her Wellbutrin for it, which was sort of a weird drug to me to give somebody for mild OCD. Mm-hmm. And and now it's funny. I'll I'll go up and I'll be like, God, these dishes have been sitting in the sink for so long, and I'll be cleaning them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm the one that's like, this place is a little too dirty for me. And, and you're and, like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't mind at all. I I like to clean up after myself, but uh, I've noticed that a, a huge change with her after she talked to a counselor. And uh, I I don't know what exactly the Wellbutrin does for her as far as that behavior, but. Obviously, it helped because she couldn't leave the house if it wasn't clean. Mm-hmm. You know, or if somebody was coming over, like guests, she'd be like, "No, we have to clean it up before the guests get here." Yeah, it's pretty clean. You know, I guess they're not going to judge us on it. Trust me, it's not like a hoarder house or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to explain what goes on in your head because you know that it's irrational, and people are going to they're just gonna be like, "What are you talking about? That's like crazy," you know. But at this point, to me, it kind of is what it is. But I feel incredibly lucky that I found a very good therapist. Mm -hmm. And it's been getting better. And, you know, he taught me new breathing techniques for my anxiety. And it just has gotten so much better all around. And obviously, I mean, it's just it's going to be a long process. But 
it's better already. And I at least have hope that it's going to continue to improve. And, you know, I get frustrated sometimes because, okay, maybe I'm not going to be checking and doing all these things, but am I still going to have all these horrible thoughts? And it's just, just something that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. And that's, that's really frustrating because sometimes you just want a day off from it. Sometimes I just want to be able to leave my house and just not care about where I go and whether or not the door is locked. And it's just, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think with time and, and with, with help, uh, I, your thoughts might move on to something else. Um, mm -hmm. you know, whether that be, I don't know, just, I think you'll, you'll find distractions, you'll find other things, uh, hopefully not other things to be worried about, but, just other things to make you happy and focus on those things. But right. you're, yeah, you're not going to get a day off anytime soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's funny that you um, mentioned, you know, finding things that make me happy. Because when I first started, I was in uh, such a bad place that uh, I told you the first day was kind of like a Q&A. Let's just go through everything. And one of the things that he asked me was like, well, what makes you happy? What do you, what do you like to do for fun? And I just, <laughs> I literally just sat there and stared at him. Cause I was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do anything fun. He's like, okay, well that's a goal. <laughs> that's a goal. We're going to find things that you find fun. <laughs> well, I'm sure that there were or are things that you find fun. You just haven't focused or thought about them in so long. Yeah. I mean, you could have said, hey, I listened to true crime podcasts. or That's I, the know. answer I finally came up with. <laughs> I was like, I listened to podcasts. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. That's actually the answer that I gave. But, <laughs> but, and then, but, but sadly, you know, you down can... the road, you're like, that's probably not <laughs> the <No>. best. <laughs> it's not the best. <laughs> like, clearly, that doesn't make you happy. <laughs> Well, now I'm thinking, okay, so you're listening to how all the ways people can kill you while yeah. you're frantically vacuuming your carpet, but you're allowed, you're able to listen to a podcast while you're doing <laughs> these things. Yeah. And I'm like, right. Oh, great. Oh, my God. It's funny because I actually listen to your new episodes as I'm driving to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I'm like in the car driving to therapy and I'm listening to it. If I if I need any support after this, I'm going to the right place. <laughs> well, if nothing else, you, you have a leg up. You, you know all the, the, the ways that a, a serial killer can try to coax you into his car. You know, oh, <laughs> um, you know, all I these, know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just hope that uh, I don't know if you have a boyfriend or not, but if you're dating or have a boyfriend that you have vetted them to your <laughs> satisfaction and, and man that's always <laughs> it's i i am not dating anyone right now and it's, trust me that's something that's in the back of my mind all the time too when i think about relationships and oh my god this is something that i'm gonna have to deal with yeah. just being like afraid of my boyfriend <laughs> Personally, I think you're not going to be afraid of them. I think you're probably going to be more afraid that they'll see these behaviors and be turned off by them. And and that, that would be more sad to me if you were reluctant because you're like, well, they're going to judge me for me and how I am and I'm working on it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely always in my mind when I'm thinking about whether or not I want to be in a relationship 
this is something that happens with mental illness a lot is a, you think you're going to get judged B you don't want, like, I don't want to deal with what I have to deal with. Why on earth would I make someone else have to deal with it too? (laughs) Why would I make someone else have to deal with this craziness? Might as well just keep it, (laughs) keep it to myself. Like, (laughs) I, I see your point, but we all are in love with people that are completely flawed. <laughs> just, <laughs> just trust me on that one. Yeah. If you love somebody truly, you, you love them for their flaws too and everything about them. And you want to support them and help them. And they become the priority and not yourself. Right. Maybe that's... Something that you can think about is, hey, if I'm in a relationship, then I can focus on them and maybe I won't be so focused on my own problems. Not that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't address your problems, but true. again, I'm not a therapist. I just play one on a podcast, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever works. No, no, it totally makes sense. And I mean, it's definitely come up in therapy before because... The first day I walked in there, I was like, nope, not dealing with relationships. That's never going to happen. I just, I can't, I can't uh, deal with feeling judged or making someone else deal with it or being afraid that they're going to kill me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's come up since then and I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but I think that it's something what I've heard from other people that deal with mental illness. Um, it's, I'm certainly not alone in that thought. <laughs> no. And this is just good advice for any relationship is be upfront about stuff on that first or second date. You just lay it out, you know? I, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, what are you going to like six months in be like, Hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever you leave the house, I have to check the locks like a million times because I don't trust you to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh. I mean, and I, I, I'll, I'll just be honest. When my wife and I first met and that first day, kids, no. Okay, cool. Uh, marriage, <laughs> not really. Okay, cool. It was pretty brutal. You know, do you do drugs? Not really. Okay, cool. Do you drink? On occasion. Okay, cool. But you know, six months down the road, you find out somebody's a heavy drinker or likes to do drugs, whatever those drugs may be. If you're okay with it, cool. But if you're not, then that's a big deal. Or I don't want to have kids and you do. That is a, that is a a game stopper for most. That's a huge deal. (laughs) Yeah. That's a huge deal. And no, I totally agree. There are certain things that you, that they say that you shouldn't, shouldn't talk about on the first couple of days, but it's like, no, just, I mean, maybe when you're younger, I don't know. Cause you have time. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't think it matters if you're younger or not. I think it should always be discussed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't particularly think that kids are the way to go for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely not something I've kept a secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not that I don't like them. I just, I knew at a very young age that, it wasn't for me. I have ended up taking care of like my niece and, and other kids in my life. I don't mind, but as far it's, as yeah. yeah, as far as me, no. And 
I, uh, I had a medical procedure done when I was 21 to make sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, eh. you're like, yep, made up my mind, <laughs> you know? And yeah, that's totally, totally a deal breaker that should be discussed <laughs> very early on. I totally agree. And <laughs> I wouldn't hold back the fact that I have OC because if it's something that they can't deal with, then that's fine. It's I'm not going to get upset because it's just something that they don't think that they could deal with because it's not their problem. And if they don't feel it's something that they could be supportive of or they just don't want to deal with it and, you know, that's the long and short of it, then that's fine. But well, it's I mean, best to know up front. I mean, flip it around. If they were, say, a smoker and you hate cigarettes, you're not going to want to deal with that. And you're not going to change them, you know, and they're not going to change you. So it's just better to kind of get those things. And just because somebody is a smoker or has or doesn't have children or has OCD, it doesn't make them a bad person. It just means that you might not want to live happily ever after with them. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It, It makes sense. Because it's not, it's not just me that would have to deal with it. It's someone else. And I mean, you've had a taste of it. You know what it's like. And I think it just, it adds more stress. Like, uh, you know, am I holding people up? (laughs) And it's funny because um, I know I've heard that a lot of people with OCD tend to be late because they just spend so much time dealing with it. But I'm also so time sensitive that I could just never let myself be late so I'm like I'm leaving for work an hour early just to make sure I get everything done in time and I literally work seven minutes from my house (laughs) but you're compensating for this ritual exactly because you're just as OCD about being punctual (laughs) exactly yeah it's being late is a huge deal for me. And I've somehow surrounded myself with people that are late all the time. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> it I, drives me nuts. <laughs> I used to be very flaky growing up. And as a teenager, uh, it wasn't that I didn't care about whoever I was supposed to hang out with. It was just whoever I was currently with would get my full attention. And mm-hmm. then I would slowly move away from them to go on to the next thing. But, I, you know, if somebody said, hey, you want to go out to dinner? I'd say yes. Four more people. Hey, you want to go out to dinner? I'd say yes to all four. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I'm standing up half of them. I just had to learn after time that I to, to say no. <laughs> and I had yeah. to learn after time to tell somebody, okay, I'm supposed to be here. Say I had a another interview in 15 minutes. I'd be like, okay, Sarah gotta cut this off yeah (laughs) you're like shut up (laughs) (laughs) well i'm always nice about it (laughs) (laughs) like i've heard enough from you (laughs) i'm totally kidding (laughs) i I guess after you we spoke the first time that's sort of what inspired you to kind of go seek therapy it definitely so i don't want to take all the credit i don't (laughs) no i mean it, it definitely was a catalyst because It was the first time in a really long time that I've sat down and spoken about everything because, you know, the last time I was in therapy, like we discussed, I was a teenager. I had just been caught cutting myself. I was not in the right. I didn't have the right therapist and my psychiatrist was shoving pills down my throat that were doing more harm than good. 
you know, I kind of speak about having anxiety and depression every once in a while, but it's never in depth. Like I said, the last time we spoke, I was in the worst place I had been in a really long time. And then I had just spoken about it. And of course, I get off the phone and I think that I'm just coming off as a horrible human being and I just beat myself up over it. And then I also, it's going to seem totally random, but it's, it's not, it's, I had actually, I think I had spoken, I think I told you about it, that I had actually gotten myself sick because of all the anxiety that I had felt even just leading up to it. Mm -hmm. I was put on an antibiotic because I, um, for anyone who wants to know, (laughs) it's called Bactrim and it was the worst thing I have ever taken in my life. I, it was like my third or fourth day, um, that I was on it and I was sitting at work and it was just panic attack and I would breathe my way out of it. And then within 10 minutes, it was the next panic attack. It was one after the other relentless. And I was just sitting there on the verge of tears all day in a deep depression. And I was just, it's so weird because we, we had the conversation. I should feel relieved. It's done. You know, like I just kind of got this all off my chest Mm-hmm. And I feel worse now. And then I just, I was like, what could it be? And I just looked up the antibiotic and there was story after story of people having anxiety and depression triggered by this antibiotic and people feeling suicidal from it. And I was just, holy shit, that's crazy. How random is that? You wouldn't think it's, that that would do that. <laughs> it's scary because it just kind of all depends on what chemicals you know, what the chemicals are doing in your brain. And, and it was also right before my birthday, I think by the time I had kind of realized that it was antibiotic and I was just super depressed and I was just like, I can't go into another year of my life feeling this way. And it was just kind of everything rolled into one. And I was just like, I have to get help. And I literally started calling therapists on my birthday because this is the gift that I'm giving myself this year. It's something that I have to do. Like I said, he was my second phone call and he's been amazing. And it was just, I don't, the stars totally aligned for me. And I was expecting it to be a very long journey to try and find someone and maybe having to go through a few people because I wouldn't settle for someone, but it ended up working out and I'm so incredibly lucky that it did because Mm -hmm. I know you're, I know that you said that you took a long time finding someone. I have another friend who called 15 or 20 people trying to find someone and I don't know, it all just kind of worked out. And like I said, I'm incredibly lucky that it did Yeah, because it was bad when I went in. I like, I wasn't suicidal. I've never, I don't think I've ever been suicidal. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I've cut myself before, but that was back in my teens. I haven't done that since. Um, and, and cutting yourself isn't, I mean, it is a self-harm, but it's, it's a, it's a more of a release. It's more of a compulsive behavior. It's not, I want to die. Exactly. So I was never afraid that would ever be something that I would do, but I also knew that something had to change because, you know, I'm in my thirties now and like, it's just, I, I need to clear my mind of all of this and just at least work on it and give it a try. Mm -hmm. I look forward to my sessions every single week. Awesome. 
And if you would have asked me four months ago if I would be saying, I mean, you can listen to the yeah. first part of this. And I was like, no, it's horrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the first therapist I went to was awful. And then the psychiatrist was awful. And that's why I haven't bothered with treatment since. And I just never knew that I had the choice to just find someone better. And that's something that I, I absolutely want people to understand is if you have a therapist that it's not working out or you're just not gelling, keep looking, go on. Um, I actually tried talk space for a little bit and mm -hmm. the first person I talked to, they just weren't interacting with me and, and they were saying stuff, but it had nothing to do with me and it was all kind of procedural stuff. And I finally was just two clicks. I was like, find a new therapist, click, submit, done. <laughs> I was just mm -hmm. like, you know, like I'm out of here. The next one immediately just asked me questions about myself. Okay, cool. That's what I wanted. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, and it luckily it was pretty easy. I guess that's, yeah. that's the one point I just want people to know is if, if the help isn't working out, find new help. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, don't wait, um, you know, 15 years in between. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were things that I kind of walked into knowing that I wanted and trying to pinpoint things that I felt like didn't work for me last time. And he's a very good balance of obviously being super supportive. You know, he has like, the, he's kind and all of that, but he is also not afraid to call me out on my bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and I need someone who is going to call me out on bullshit. I cannot be coddled. That's not going to work for me. And that was something that I knew right off the bat. It, wor it worked out. So like ever since I kind of started talk like the first time I spoke to you, mm -hmm. I've just been really passionate about mental health awareness just because yeah. you kind of look around and you realize that people still don't understand and people still are totally intolerant of it. And it's, it's sad because people need your help and you're just telling them to suck it up. It's not that easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Stop checking the door. Stop checking your tires. Just move on. You know, that's yeah. attitude. Like, oh, you're sad today? Just get over it. It can't be that bad. It's yeah. like, you know, when you're depressed and you literally can't get out of bed and you think that life is pretty much the worst ever and people are just, it's not that bad. Get over it. Like, what's your problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Or if you're having full-blown panic attack, what are you so worried about, you know? And yeah. you're just like, I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's right. taken control. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision to make myself vulnerable. And I started a, um, a blog. Like, I literally just posted my first post on it. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be me being incredibly honest. And yeah. it's really... I would say 80% more for people who struggle with mental health just to know that they're not alone. Yeah. Because a lot of times that people, they feel lonely and it's one of the worst things that you can feel when you're depressed or anxious or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like a little bit terrified about what people are going to say, but <laughs> I kind of don't, I don't know. I guess I'll have to wait and see. It's, it's when you get that person that absolutely disagrees and it just well, hates your guts it, for it, whatever reason. Yeah. And, and at first you're going to literally question yourself. You're going to, mm -hmm. you're going to say, what did I do or say? Cause I had to have done something to elicit this reaction right. and you're going to question yourself. That's, that's the hardest part is you're going to think yeah. you're a bad person or you're going to think that 
something you did. This is your fault somehow. You got to sort of get over it. And it doesn't matter if you have, you know, it's, it's like you said, you know, it's like you're having a panic attack and people are like, just calm down. Well, I have what? 400,000 people saying you're doing a great job, Justin, but mm-hmm. I'm looking at that one negative review and I'm like, mm-hmm. why do they think this about me? What did I do wrong? They can't tell me I to know. just get over it, you know? And it's funny because, like I said, you made that comment. I'm pretty sure it was the peripheral group. And I was just like, what the hell are these people emailing him about? Mm-hmm. If you don't agree, that's fine. You're allowed to disagree. But it's he's not a terrible person for, like, oh, yeah. making someone feel comfortable about a really uncomfortable thing. I know. It is what it is. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy that you're doing better. A big happy birthday and thank you to my friend Adam who made the music for today's episode. And I will be putting out another episode shortly. And you will not have a two-week, three-week delay. I promise. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.